I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn once more with me to Philippians chapter 4 now. Philippians chapter 4. We are in the section of Philippians where Paul is going to give closing remarks. Um, we won't get through all of them today. Uh, as I try to be mindful of, of your attention spans and uh, that I'm not always the easiest person to listen to, but we will cover a few of these. We went through verse 1 as we concluded chapter 3 last week, so this week we'll start in verse 2 of chapter 4 and only look at a few verses. Um, Philippians chapter 4 verse 2, now read, read these verses with me and think through them as we go. This is Paul writing, I implore Euodia and I implore Sintaish to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And that's as far as we'll go this morning. Um, interesting that... We're in the middle of a letter, and uh, Paul has just concluded this whole long section on what having the mind of Christ is and means. It took us a couple of chapters, and then there is a quick pivot to an issue between two women, and we get no description of it. We don't know what the issue is. Um, it is one of the few times in Paul's letters that he deals with a problem in a church and he calls the people by name who are involved. That does not happen very often in his letters. He often is dealing with questions and problems. Rarely is he assigning names. But he says in verse 2, I implore Euodia and I implore Sintaish to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, whatever the disagreement between the two of them is, and we don't know what it is, it's not a gospel issue. In other words, it's not, for instance, Euodia believes that a person has to be circumcised in order to be saved, but Sintaish doesn't. Or Euodia believes that it's a Christian's job to reach some higher level of understanding, some secret knowledge of God, but Sintaish doesn't. It's not a gospel issue. It's not a heresy issue because he goes on in verse 3 to name both of them in the book of life, saying that both their names are in the book of life. So he is not concerned for their salvation, but there is a disagreement. We might read into how he describes it where he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. And we might read into that that their disagreement is on how they should serve the Lord locally in their church. And I think that's probably the most plausible answer. In other words, they are both faithful workers who, you know, Paul acknowledges in verse 3, they're women who labored with him in the gospel. They're both faithful workers. We know from in Acts, when Paul first shows up in Philippi, 
that it is a group of faithful women who are gathering down by the river praying to the God of Israel in the first place. That's who gets saved. So that you know, these women are leaders in the church, which by the way, I've never been in a church that didn't have women who were leaders in the church. Um, there's a difference between being a leader and a pastor. I've never been in a church where women weren't leaders. At our last members meeting, we announced to you that, that two women had stepped forward to help lead in the adorn ministry. And these women were, were fellow workers with Paul. They were taking up a responsible, you know, uh, uh, situation in Philippi, and they had ministry, you know, roles. They were not insignificant. And so you might infer, you might read into how he phrases it and say it was a disagreement over how they should do something or approach something in their service to the Lord. We don't know, though. You can guess, but we don't know. We also don't know in verse 3 who the true companion is that Paul is asking to step in and try to, to arrange for, for the peace between the two of them. We don't know who the true companion is. We know that the true companion is not just a general... Because he says here, verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, help these women. We know it's not just the church in general because it's singular. It's not plural. It's not addressed to everybody. He has someone in mind. We assume it was clear based on the person who was delivering the letter uh, to, to the church. So it's not that they're not clear about who this is, but we don't know. That person isn't named. But he's pleading, he's, he's, he's imploring that both of these two be reconciled in their disagreement and be of the same mind in the Lord. He's urging a person, a trusted person, some think it's Luke, some think it's Luke. I don't know who. But he's urging a trusted person uh, to, to help them resolve this, to, to help them get through this. And I won't go into all the reasons why they think it's Luke, because we don't know. It could be somebody completely different. And in the verses, we come to the realization that in local churches, there are going to be disagreements, and there are going to be different views of things. And when there are disagreements and different views of things, they need to be reconciled. They need to be dealt with. It's not good for um, disharmony or for discord or for dissension to arise in the body of Christ. Remember, from God's perspective, and this is how we're called to see it, the people in a local church body are His children, whom He has called together to worship Him. Yes, that's what we do on Sundays. But also to live and minister to one another. Now, they're supposed to be using, we are all together supposed to be using whatever spiritual gifts God has given us individually. Um, and I don't know how God has gifted you. Maybe you're a person who just naturally is empathetic and compassionate and, and loving people and, and relating to people. Where that, Maybe that comes very easy to you. Maybe you're a person who is very comfortable standing up and reasoning, this is what the Bible says here and this is what we should do. Maybe you're a person of great faith and it's the most natural thing in the world when you see the burdens of another person to step in and begin to pray and intercede with God on their behalf because you believe God will hear and God will work and God will bless. We all have different spiritual gifts. And if 1 Corinthians 12 is to be believed, if the Bible is to be, if Ephesians 4 is to be believed, 
We're given these different gifts so that when we come together, we have all that we need to serve the Lord, all that we need to prosper and to grow up uh, maturely together uh, in the Lord. Um, so if there is disharmony, it's not just disharmony among people. It's disharmony among God's children. If there is discord and unresolved issues, it's not just discord and disagreement and distance between two families in New Paris or you know a family in Richmond and a family in New Paris. It's discord and disagreement between two sons, two daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God the Father. This is a bigger deal. And so we should be quick not to look at the church like we look at every other organization in the world. Because at every other organization in the world, we know, we know the deal, right? You're going to have people that like what's going on and people that don't like what's going on. You're going to have people who are on board and people who aren't. You know, people who like each other and they're friends and then people in the same organization who don't care for each other and, and are, are, not, are not very friendly, right? That's living in a fallen world. And when we're called into community or organization in a fallen world, that's just part of it. You got to deal with that. You got to put up with it. And if you spend your time going around trying to reconcile all those rifts, you can drive yourself crazy. But the church is something entirely different because remember, as we saw last week, we are not citizens of the world. We are citizens of heaven. We are not children of the world. We are children of God. And when we have disputes or disagreements or difficulties, it does not merely reflect poorly on us individually. It reflects poorly on the Lord, on God. And any Christian who's serious should not want their life to reflect poorly on God. Um, so this is an important issue. I don't think that this is an issue of one person has sinned against another because we don't get any deal with the sin language. I think this is just a church serving disagreement is what it is. And he's telling them, you need to resolve this and be of the same mind of the Lord. And then he's appealing to someone who I assume has a bit of leadership in the, in the, in the church where they're at, maybe even a pastoral role, but saying, look, help, help them, help them, because this isn't good. Um, when I think about our church, I, I have, you know, I've been here a long time. Many of you have been here a long time. And there are natural ebbs and flows in, in, a, in a local church. There, it's not, you, don't, you don't fly high for, for 25 years in a church where everything is great and there's no issues, there's no conflict. And it, it just doesn't. <laughs> we are all sinners and, and we all live in a sinful world and even if our sin is not what's leading to the difficulty, the fact that we all live in a fallen world and time takes its toll and relationships take, look, that's, there's, there's no riding the, the momentum high forever. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in any church, in any church. Um, you know, I, I carry a MacArthur study Bible and you know, I think John MacArthur, from what I can tell from a great distance, has, uh, from, from my observance, has seemed to do a pretty faithful job as a pastor. I could be wrong. I don't know him personally, right? But if you listen to John MacArthur talk about even the, the decades in his own church, which has way more people than us. I mean, they're in the Los Angeles area. They should have way more. <laughs> they should have way more people than us. But, and a great renowned teaching and preaching ministry and, and lots of wonderful things that they're involved with. You know, he'll talk about the times when huge groups of people left his church or when, you know, there was a lawsuit because of the counsel that he gave someone or, you know, he, th that ebbs and flows happen. It's difficult. 
because we're human beings. And when I look at our church now, I think we're in kind of one of these, you know, uh, 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 rebuilding and, and re reforming. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? I've been here forever. But many of us have not been here very long. You know, only, you know, a few years or less. And some of these relationships are just forming and our thoughts about uh, what we're supposed to do in these relationships are very fluid. You know, they're, they're not necessarily all grounded and our understanding of the church is not necessarily all grounded and as mature as it can possibly be. We, we all have growing to do and at different levels. So I want to take a, a few minutes and I want to ask the question, hey, um, what do you do with conflict in the church? What do you do with disagreements? Because there are different types. Um, not, not, not any church is going to have a, agreement on everything. You know, if, if you have a church where everybody agrees on everything in life, you, you have a very small church. I mean, if it, I, I struggle to believe it would go beyond your household. It, it might not, your, your own husband or wife might not qualify, you know, because, you know, it, how very rare is it that we should agree on everything? So disagreement will happen. What, what do you do in the face of disagreement? Well, let's think through this biblically, which is what we're called to do, and I'll just put on you know, kind of the pastoral hat here for a moment and, and, uh, and try to, to talk through how, how these things are supposed to be dealt with. Let's ask the first question. What if it's an issue of sin? Let's say Yodia and Sentaish or, you know, two folks in our own congregation. What if there was an issue of sin? I mean, that's just the basic, that's the most basic place for conflict to start, right? Somebody sins against somebody else. And we should be honest about what sin is. Sin is, sin is moral failure. Sin is, is, is a spiritual rebellion. It's not a good thing. It's not a no big deal thing. When we sin against somebody, it's not like, oh, well, no big deal. You know, I'm human. Let's just all move on. That's not, that's not how the Bible treats sin. We know the severity to which sin is treated in the Bible. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, what did God do to deal with sin? Uh, he gave his only begotten son um, to be born into a world that would abuse and mis mistreat him. And knowing that, to march obediently towards the cross and offer his life as a sacrifice to defeat sin. So we know sin is a big deal. What do you do in a church when there's sin? Well, we have instruction in Matthew 18. If you want to turn to Matthew 18, let's just look there together. This is from the Lord Jesus. It's it's very simple instruction. It's not complicated at all. If you pay attention this morning, you will always know the answer, which I'm afraid will not always make it easy to apply the answer, but you'll always know the answer. What do I do when someone has sinned against me? This is the, the person who says, hey, what's going on with you? You say, well, this person did a bad thing, or well, this person said this thing. and it's, They're saying someone has sinned against me. You know, someone has, has sinned against me. And we get to Matthew 18. Look at verse 15 here. Um, Moreover, this is Jesus speaking. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Well, hey, what do you know? The Bible has something to say about this. <clears throat> it's almost as if Jesus anticipated that his followers might still sin. Right? Of course. This is what you do. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So let's just pause there. When someone sins against you, is that the approach that you take? It's a good question. Someone has sinned against me, what do I do? 
Well, I sit at home and I get angry about it for a while. Well, that's not good. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The Bible says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. <laughs> In the Sermon on the Mount, it's told, hey, go and reconcile with your brother before you make your offering. In other words, that's not good. Well, what do you do when someone sends against you? Well, I, you know, I try to sweep it under the rug and rather than go and deal with it, I, you know, I just, just try to bury it inside. Well, that's not what the Lord says to do. I don't think that's healthy for you or your brother says, if your brother sins against him, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. What an interesting word. What an interesting stipulation. Treat the matter privately. And 1 Corinthians 13, which says, love does not rejoice in evil, comes to mind. Someone sinned against me. What's the first thing I'm going to do? Well, I'm going to tell my friend because it's a burden and they need to bear it. Well, hold on. <laughs> if you love the brother who sinned against you, maybe you won't tell your friend. Maybe you'll go and talk to your brother or your sister alone. Maybe that's what you should do. Rather than spread the sin around, and maybe you should go and deal with it. It says if he hears you, then you've gained your brother. In other words, if he hears you, if he or she is receptive, you know what? I'm sorry, I didn't think of it that way. Or, you know what? You're right, I did think of it that way. <laughs> You're right, this is wrong. Um, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Um, I want things to be right again. Notice the assumption is immediate forgiveness. <laughs> the assumption here in verse 15 is that you have gone to your brother or sister with a mind towards reconciliation, not recompense. Some people, they get this wrong. They go to their brother, hey, you've sinned against me. What they want is justice. <laughs> hey, you've sinned against me. Oh, you know, you're right. I'm very sorry. I'm glad you're sorry. This is what I require in order to make things right again. That's, that's not the mindset here. The mindset is you go to your brother, hey, you've sinned against me, and I want to keep you as a brother, but this is between us right now. And if he listens, you've gained a brother. Forgiveness is assumed. Verse 16, but if he will not hear you, no, man, I'm not, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't think I did anything wrong, or no, no, you're wrong about this, or hey, you're making a mountain out of a mole. There's no repentance, there's no reconciliation. If he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. That, that phrase, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, it's the idea of, look, in the church, we are not going to let sin go undealt with. So if he won't listen to you privately, and he won't listen to you when you show up with a, a trusted friend or two, I recommend you take a pastor with you, by the way, at that point in time. Then when this gets dealt with in the church, You've got you and a couple of people to say, yeah, look, he tried to deal, so-and-so tried to deal with this the right way. And this, this person wouldn't listen, wouldn't hear him. He says, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, then let him do, be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. We don't, we don't keep um, the idea of heathen and tax collectors mean people living in open rebellion against God, a heathen. You know, We don't count people living in open rebellion against God as members of the church. The idea is you, you, you remove them. You don't, you, <laughs> you, you don't pretend that they're Christians and that everything's fine if they're going to go on sinning unrepentantly. You, you, don't, you don't have them show up to your worship service and sing the praises and take the communion and pretend, hey, everything's fine with brother so-and-so while he's sleeping with somebody's wife. 
Like you, you, don't, you don't make a mockery of fellowship with God by pretending that unrepentant sin is no big deal. You know? And now, is that a sad, is that a tragic thing? Yeah. Yes, it is. And I had to deal with something like this just a few weeks ago. It was a tough thing. It was a difficult thing. But you don't pretend that sin isn't sin. You don't pretend that Jesus went to the cross for nothing. You don't pretend that God saved us so that we can live in rebellion against Him. Everybody's going to sin. Everybody is going to sin. And when you sin, what is, the, what is the mindset of the Christian? Repentance. You know what? That was wrong. I shouldn't do that. You may wake up tomorrow, commit the same sin. What's the mindset of a Christian? That was wrong again. I should not have done that. If you're dealing with repetitive, habitual, habit-forming sin in your life, you need to enlist help. You don't need to cover that up. You need to, you need to talk to a pastor. You need to talk to a mature brother and sister in Christ, which may or may not be somebody your own age for the younger audience, but you need to enlist help in fighting sin, but you need to keep fighting sin, not pretend, well, this is no big deal. That's not okay. So we know, we have instruction on what to do if there's an issue of sin. Matter of fact, Peter goes on to ask the obvious question in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, no, just keep doing it. Just keep forgiving. In other words, forgiveness is assumed. It's assumed that in the body of Christ, when someone sins against you, you are a brother who's been wronged and all you want is your brother back. You're not interested in, in punishment. All you want is your brother back. All you want is your sister back. All you want are things to be writing. And now those of you who have siblings who are lost and in sin and you watch them struggle and you watch them go in and out of it, you should be able to relate to that. Look, I, I'm not looking for any kind of, of, of payback for any wrong thing that you've ever done. I just want you to be right with God. I just want to have a right relationship with you. I just want, I just want you to to know the Lord. That should be our mindset even in the church in these ongoing relationships. So if it's an issue of sin, you have a pattern. If you don't follow that pattern and bitterness develops and anger develops and distance develops, that's, that's your fault. And you say, well, I know it's my fault, but I'm the only one paying for it. No, no, you're not the only one paying for it. You're fostering dissension. You're fostering discord in the body of Christ. Well, then I'll just leave. No. You have to deal with sin in a godly way to bring glory to God. You have to deal with sin in a godly way. And that takes faith, right? Because when someone's sinned against you, it's tough to go talk to them. In the back of your head, the whole thing's going on. And, well, they're not going to take this well. Pff, I really don't want to do that. I know what they're going to say. You don't know what they're going to say even if you're right about what they're going to say. You have to trust the Lord. You have to do what He tells you to do. If you're going to love Jesus, you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to obey Jesus. And this is what He says to do. Now, what? let's go back to the, the scenario here. We know there's some disagreement between Yodia and Sintesh. What if it's a disagreement on Christian liberty? You know, Christian freedom. In other words, what if the disagreement is, Yodia is looking at Sintesh and saying, you know what, I don't have a, a specific Bible verse that says exactly what you're doing is wrong, but I think it's wrong. 
I think it's wrong. That's what we would call a disagreement on Christian liberty. We have those in, in the Bible. They come up from time to time. Jesus speaks them in Matthew 7, 1, and this is where he says, judge not. You say, well, how do you know Jesus is talking about that kind of stuff? Well, from Romans 14. You turn to Romans chapter 14, just look at the first four verses here. Now, at Romans 14, something serious is being dealt with here. It doesn't sound serious to us because this is not the culture that we, we've grown up in. But there are, there's a disagreement about whether or not you can eat food sacrificed to idols. Same disagreement we covered in 1 Corinthians 8, by the way. It's multiple times. The reason why it was such a big deal is because folks didn't have a Bible verse that said, if you eat this food, it's a sin. But some people were looking at what the food had been used in originally, which was sacrificed to, 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 in temples to false gods. And they're saying, I think it's wrong for you to eat that. I don't have a command that says it's wrong for you to eat that. I don't have a specific instruction that says what you're doing is wrong. But I think it's wrong because of my application of the whole principle of we shouldn't worship idols. <laughs> and at some point in the, in the process, this food was used in the worship of an idol. And so I think you eating it is wrong. That, that's what this is. Now, that is a lot like many disagreements that Christians have today. I don't have a Bible verse that says what you're doing is wrong, but you're doing something that I connect to a Bible verse that says something is wrong. And so I think, by extension, what you're doing is evil. And you could say, well, that sounds a little convoluted. It's not as convoluted as you think. You don't have a Bible verse that says the music that someone's listening to is wrong. Probably. I, you know, you may, now, you may apply Bible verses in a very specific way. But that's not the same as thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> that's not the same. You say, well, I am so confident in my application of the Bible to the music that that person is listening to that I can say with absolute certainty it's a sin. And as a pastor, I would say, are you ready to throw them out of the church for it? Because if it is absolutely and unquestionably a violation of God's command, then we're back to Matthew 18. And if they won't repent of it, they're out. Now, what would happen to a church if every person demanded that God's word be applied to every circumstance in other people's lives based on their own personal convictions? And that if people would not conform to that, they were out. What would happen to a church? There wouldn't be one. That's what would happen. That's what would happen. You know, I'm not naive about this. I mean, that's what would take place. Look at Romans chapter 14. Look at the first four verses here. Paul says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. We're, not, we're, we're, we're receiving people with differing convictions to us. That's what it means by weak in the faith. But we're not receiving them merely to argue about things that are not absolutely certain. That's what he's saying here. And that's what some people get wrong. They're like, hey, you know what? I understand we can all get along together, but let's argue and fight about these things all the time. Hey, what do you think about that? Hey, what do you think about that? Well, this is what I think. This is what I think. And it's like, well, you know, receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. We're not gathering together to argue and bicker and fight with one another. Now, that doesn't mean there's never a place to share godly counsel or godly wisdom. 
But I would suggest to you that is privately and in a spirit of gentleness, with a sense of compassion and without a tone of judgment. There should be older men, older women, mature men, mature women in Christ, giving counsel and instruction to younger people. But it should be done with gentleness and kindness, not judgment and condemnation. Now look what he says. For one believes that he can eat all things. He who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who doesn't eat. (laughs) In other words, the person who's got the view of Christian liberty here shouldn't look down on the person whose conscience won't let them do this thing because of the way they're applying the laws concerning idolatry. You know, shouldn't look down on that person. And likewise, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. The person who's saying, well, this is my conviction here about this. It's not allowed to look at everyone else in Christian liberty and say, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. Deal with this. So he's, they're echoing Jesus in Matthew 7, 1, aren't they? Judge not. <laughs> who are you to judge another's servant? That's verse 4. It's not Reggie, that's Paul. Verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In other words, you're not propping somebody up by creating new laws and regulations for them to follow. God is going to prop them up. Now, don't misunderstand me. God has given us clear instruction about sin in His Word. So, you go out and you have an affair with somebody. Don't look at me and say, hey, judge not when I tell you this is wrong. All right? We have clear instructions here. And it's, it ought to be out of love and compassion for you that I say that. Right? You go out and you steal something for, from your neighbor. Don't look at me and be like, hey, who are you to judge me? You know, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sinner. You know, I'm a, I'm a bad guy too. But I care about you and, and this is wrong. But we can't go around doing that with every application of wisdom that we've discerned for our own lives and applying that to other people. You just, you can't function that way. So, what do you do with Christian liberty? You pray, you counsel, you love. You try to share privately, gently, compassionately, but you don't create rifts of judgment and despising those who disagree with you. You serve the Lord with them, as it says in Romans 14, 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith. You serve the Lord with them. You don't say, well, you go to your church of people who don't watch those shows, and I'll be in my church of people who do. It's not what you do. All right, those are two kinds of disagreements. What if it is a disagreement about the church? And I think this is probably where Euodia and Sintaish are. In other words, it's not a disagreement where someone has sinned against you. It's not a disagreement of conscience, of Christian freedom, of Christian liberty. Instead, it's, I think we should do this, you think we should do this. I think we should be doing more of this, you think we should be doing the right amount or less. What if it's a disagreement about serving the Lord together? This is where I think these women are at. It's just a guess. It could be something else. But those happen in a church, right? I mean, that happens. I think if you go to Hebrews chapter 13, you just turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 13. Go past Paul's letters. You get to James, you've gone too far. 
I think that God in his wisdom is smart enough to anticipate that we might disagree about things in the church from time to time. Now it says in Hebrews 13, 17. Now here's where you, here's where you have to deal with this. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And then the first part of verse 18, pray for us. <laughs> in other words, I think if, if, if we have a disagreement in the church, I think you have to ask yourselves, do we, are the pastors that we have qualified? Are they qualified? Now, if they're not qualified, you should deal with that. You know? But are the pastors that we have qualified? Yeah, I think they're qualified. Are they trying to do what God has called them to do? Do they have a role? Are they trying to do what God has called them to do? Yeah, yeah. Then I think disagreements in the church ought to be settled by saying, look, I think we should do this. You think, I think they ought to be settled with the pastors. Hey, let, let's, go talk to, let's go talk to Steve. Notice how I threw Steve under the bus real fast. There. No. Hey, let's go talk to Steve. You know, you and I, we see this differently. Let's go talk to Steve. Or let's go talk to Justin. Let's lay out what we're thinking here. Let's pray about it. Let's let them lead. And we'll try to follow in faith to the Lord here. I think we should have the clothing ministry open on these dates. I think we should have it open on this dates. We got disagreement. What should we do? Well, let's, let's go talk about it with the person whom God has given us to administrate, and to watch out for our souls. Let's go talk about it to the person who God is going to hold accountable for this in the first place. Let's pray for them as they try to work through this. And then let's trust the Lord with where they go. Does that make sense? I mean, I think that that's a fairly reasonable thing. And you know what? You should be free of it at that point in time. Not this kind of free, well, I'm done with all of it. Not that. You should be free of it. And like, look, God has called you know, pastors to lead. Let God work in the pastor's heart. Let him, let him lead. I'll, I may not agree with this particular, you know, course of action here, but let's trust the Lord. Let's see what God does. It's, whatever God does is okay with me. But we're not going to have division and disagreement. And I think that's probably why Paul is a, appealing to this third party here. You trustworthy, <laughs> you know, fellow, you help them through this. Because there can be, sadly, division in the church about things that are not sinful. I would say that's probably the most often kind dealt with. No one has wronged the other person. No one is living in rebellion against God. It's just two people who have confused their passion for serving Jesus with the passion that they're right about what they think. I wish everyone here were passionate about serving Jesus. I hope that's the case. But let's not let our passion for serving Jesus morph into a prideful passion that says, I know I'm right. I know this is best. This is what we have to do. Let's submit. Let's trust the Lord. And then finally, the fourth one here. and We'll stop with this. I had more, so I'm cutting this short, okay? But the fourth one. This is the, this is the last one I had for conflicts, but I, I was going to actually deal with verse 4. Now it'll just get lumped in with the next section next week, Lord willing. But let me ask you a fourth thing. Okay, so we've talked about what if someone sinned against you? What if someone disagrees with you? 
on a moral question, an application of God's word, about something that's not definitive in the Bible. We've talked about what happens if you just disagree about what the church should do. What if it's a gospel issue? What if your disagreement is what's being said is not the way to salvation in Jesus Christ? What's being done is not the way to knowing Jesus Christ. Give you an example. Stand up and I say, hey, in order to be saved, you need to profess faith in Jesus Christ and you need to be baptized. And if you're not baptized, I don't care what you believe, you're not secure. And you say, wait a minute, I have a disagreement here. And the disagreement is, if I accept what he's saying, I believe that in order to be saved, I have to have faith in Jesus and I have to do something. Baptism. And my Bible tells me that salvation is by faith alone, not of works, so that no one can brag about what they've done. What do you do if it's a gospel issue? Well, you confront gospel issues. You speak to gospel issues. And if it's just clarity that we need, because people can say things wrong. You know, how many words have I stood up here over the last 10 years and said? I can, I can mess up what I'm saying. <laughs> I can say something that I don't even mean to say. You know, uh, there's a very famous uh, preacher who's, a, uh, you know, I believe a very sincere preacher and a very good gospel preacher. And the message that made him famous has been called to question because in his passion and in his zeal to a group of youth at a conference where this message was being recorded and later distributed, he said some things that didn't perfectly align theological with what he meant to say. You know, <laughs> that's not good, but sometimes you just need clarification. Hey, I heard you say this. Is that what you mean? But sometimes you need to take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ where it's compromised. And I'll just give you as a reference a very uncomfortable situation that Paul describes to us in Galatians chapter 2, whereby he had to stand up and speak to a gospel issue to none other than Peter himself. Does that mean Peter's a heretic? No, no. Peter's not a heretic. <laughs> Peter's a disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wrote letters in the New Testament, but he was treading over a gospel issue. Now listen to what this says in Galatians 2.14. Listen to Paul's description. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. And then he deals with the issue. The issue was, uh, do you have to be a Jew to be saved? You know, And, and he, he saw that based on how they were presenting themselves, that they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And Paul did a very uncomfortable thing. Before them all, it says, he stood up and he spoke confrontationally. It doesn't mean he was yelling. It doesn't mean he was cursing. It doesn't mean he was mocking or... It wasn't any of the nonsense you see in a political debate, but he stood up and he stood for the gospel and he said what was right. And do you know what happened? Peter repented. <laughs> That's what happened. Because heresy was not in Peter's heart. <laughs> he was wrong. He acknowledged he was wrong. 
And he goes on to write about Paul in his own letters, that Paul has written amazing things about God, <laughs> inspired by the Lord himself. Peter doesn't have this, you know, this relationship of animosity with Paul moving forward. How can he move on so quickly? Well, you know, Peter had good training. You know how many times Jesus looked at Peter and said, nope, that's wrong. A lot. A lot. Because guess what? We're going to be wrong sometimes. And when you have a gospel issue that's wrong, you stand up and you're not rude. You're not unkind. After all, the very next verses in Philippians will appeal to us to be gentle. But you're honest and you're clear because the gospel is worth defending. Your convictions on every moral issue are not necessarily worth defending and arguing about. But the gospel is. The gospel is. So what do you do with conflict in the church? Well, you probably engage a pastor if you need a refresher on these things, and you deal with these things the right way. But you notice none of these counsels are, you just hang your head and you shut up and you get discouraged, and you become the quiet dissenter who's maybe not so quiet among their own group of friends until eventually you leave and you write everybody off. And I'm not accusing anyone of doing that. I'm saying that's the wrong way to deal with division in the church. You deal, you got, like everything in life, you deal with it by faith. And then you leave it to the Lord with a clear conscience. Deal with it by faith. Leave it to the Lord with a clear conscience. If you do that, I believe that God will bless you. And I believe that God will bless His church. That's what we should want. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, You say in Your Word that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. I don't think that it's possible to be in Christian fellowship for years and years and to not suffer with division or disunity or disharmony. I don't think it's possible. As much as we don't want to see it, sin will show up. Father, I ask you, give us the faith and the courage to deal with sin and to deal with conflict and to deal with difficulty rightly. Protect us from bitterness and anger, which will never lead us to righteousness. Help us to acknowledge our own sensitivities and failures and to put those at the forefront of our confrontations. To admit that we are not, any of us, as secure or as assured of ourselves as confident as we may seem to be. Help us to approach our brothers and sisters in Christ with a humility that acknowledges our own failures and the possibility of our own ignorance or wrongness. And Father, bring unity to this church body bring fellowship, the kind of fellowship that leads to human flourishing 
as your creatures gather before you to worship and to grow. Father, help us to be laid in the grave as, as profitable members of a, of a fellowship of your people here on the earth. As we stand before you in heaven and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to run that race to its conclusion and not to pull up short when things get difficult or trying. Help us to honor you with lives that are worthy of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.